Welcome uh, to another special Oliver Sheila show. We are really drifting into the more spiritual world lately with my guests. And today I have Kedrich Olsen on the other side in the US in his dark black cave. <laughs> um, I found out about Kedrich uh, through Gaia. Uh, there was an email with like the new shows and there he was. I listened to him talking about Atlantis and Scandinavians, shadow work, golden uh, shadow, mystics, spirituality, runes especially, and gorgling, I think it's called when you sound it. Goldering. Goldering. <laughs> okay, sorry for that. It's all good. And uh, what else was it? Uh, yeah, parna parna paranormal uh, experiences and his work. Where is it? Um, for the Pagan male do yep. i get that right and there's much more you do oh yeah you it's a <laughs> complex offering i've got definitely thank you that was a great intro super okay but uh here how you would describe yourself in um three things like three things to describe you sure uh i think one of the good words i like to use is a mystic then the reason why I like mystic is to me, the mystics of no matter what spiritual tradition that they're a part of, they get to the underlying cause that the religions are built on top of. So, you know, like we have the understanding of how consciousness interacts with reality. And then on top of that, you can build the practices, you can build the dogma, you can build all of the rituals that go on top of that, that become the religion. And therefore the mystics can talk to each other and, over the years, I've tried to distill what the religions and what the spiritual practices have in common and what makes them work so that I can get to the underlying root cause. And to me, that's mysticism in essence. Wow. Now we basically can stop it, right? So now I just explain. <laughs> yeah, I expected, I expected this step uh, much later in the talk, but yeah, thank you. Oh, no, this is as shallow as I get. <laughs> this is as shallow as you get today. Okay. So what is the second one to describe? I've, I've over the years that I've been in the, the spiritual work, teaching, leading classes and all this kind of stuff, I've never really felt comfortable having a title, having a label, somebody to describe me as anything. And over the past few years, I've accepted that I like the term hierophant. What it comes you know, from the tarot card. And Hierophant is, in essence, a teacher of the secrets, the revealer of the occult. He's the person who can grab the hidden information that the magician archetype has access to and teach that to people in a way that they can really make good use of it. And he's a leader, a community leader. He's a, someone who has, I'm not going to say the word power, but influence over to help the communities grow and develop by gaining access to this deeper spiritual knowledge and wisdom. And so I, I kind of like the term Hierophant for that. Hierophant, like uh, P-H-A-U-N-T or? Yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that I write it right in the show notes. <laughs> you got I've never, it. <laughs> I've heard before. Interesting. That's two things. That's both mystic uh, yep. in it, right? Exactly. The third thing. I would say complicated. <laughs> I definitely am not a simple person and people who have gotten to know me over the years know that 
there's nothing simple about me. I don't have one path. I don't have one thing to teach. I don't do just one thing. I've got these crazy multiple facets that exist all over me. And I have, I just can't seem to stick to one path. I try to blame that on the fact that I have what I call a super Sagittarius where I've got five planets in Sagittarius at the Midhaven that are all pulling me into so many different things and doing so much. And I have zero earth in my chart. So I've just got this crazy complicated fire that keeps me on so many different tracks, doing so many different things that, you know, I just, I think I'm a very complicated person. I have a saying that the longer you know me, the weirder I get. I think we have a connection. So um, that's great. We'll talk that after the the show. I don't want to take um, anything away from you here because there's so much I can ask you, especially because after I listen to the Gaia um, interview and also subscribe to your training with the Yao. I think I got that right. Yeah, you perfect. <laughs> yeah, but we will perhaps we're gonna talk about that later in a call to action. I guess that'd be great. Color, you are the new color in a coloring box. What color would you be, and why would you be that color? Oh, I'm gonna freak you out on this one. <laughs> this is gonna be great. I do a lot of work with a black mirror for like seance and connecting with ascended beings and more advanced beings. And in the black mirror, I have seen colors that are impossible. I can't tell you if they're, they're like blue, green, yellow, or anything like that. They are vibrant. They're brilliant colors, but they don't match up to anything on the spectrum that we have. So I will say I'm going to choose myself to be like some impossible blue, purple, indigo color that the eye the physical eye cannot perceive but your clairvoyant your subtle eyes can see that color and you can perceive it wow um i i don't know i i I don't remember if it was in one of my interviews or one of the talks i had for interviews someone said something when you when you're on the other side kind of the colors are so vibrant, like you say now, and, and they're like, you've never seen them before. And that's what you just say now in the, in the black mirror. That's exactly correct. <laughs> oh, actually, wh- why would you be that color? Because it's a different level. Let's, uh, if we go to the chakra system that some of your listeners might be familiar with, you know how it goes from red to yellow, green, purple, violet? Then it restarts. And a lot of times people will say there's like another, like a, the white, then there's a black, then a new kind of red. Well, these new colors that I've seen and that the people have seen in the near-death experiences, we could almost think of those as a higher level vibration of color because they're not perceptible to the eye, but they are still perceptible to a subtle part of us, which must mean that they're a higher level vibration, a higher level resonance. And that is part of my goal is to stay at a higher level of being so that I can be a more of a positive influence to the people around me and the people in my life. And so if I'm in that impossible color range, that means to me, I'm resonating with that higher level resonance and helping out people. That is so beautiful. 
Um, as I said, I mean, if that is just as shallow as you get, I don't know where we are going here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to floating above the ground um, before the story is over. So <laughs> <laughs> I want you for another one, which is a secret or fun fact about you people do not really know. Now, let's see if you blow me off the socks here. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is a, a kind of a fun one. I want to think about this one because a lot of people know me today as like this scary, dark, brooding, gothic, <laughs> Viking kind of guy. You, you'll find me like in a, a goth club hanging out in one of the dark corners, making an art and science out of brooding. But once upon a time in my life, my favorite movie, and I totally dug it and I can still watch it today. And with a big old sappy smile on my face is Xanadu. Xanadu? Xanadu, it's like some cheesy 70s musical where they're uh, going around on roller skates trying to create this <laughs> nightclub for roller skating. But, you know, it's got the mystical aspect of it. The guy who has this dream is an artist. He's designing album covers and he comes across a muse out of Greek mythology, a muse. And he falls in love with her and she inspires him to move on to bigger, better, greater things with his talents and his art. Yeah, it's kind of the whole premise of it, I think, is really cool. But the music, you know, we're talking Bee Gees, Electric Light Orchestra, you know, disco-y. So it doesn't match to people perceive me today. No, because I guess that's not the music you listen today, mostly when you drive with your big car down the road. Yeah, I, I listen to some pretty scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it Scandinavian scary stuff? Sometimes, you know. Um, I guess this will be another fun fact. I do, you, you have to realize, I do try to help people reach higher spiritual states. But at the same time, you know, I've got a soft spot for Demi Borgir and Cradle of Filth, Amon Amarth, uh, Tourzaz, a lot of these bands that come out of Scandinavia and you know, even Germany, like Blutengill out of Germany. Okay. Oh, let's not forget L.U. Whitey out of Switzerland. <laughs> um, you just blow me. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting something like D.A.D., like Dark After Disney or something like that. Oh, I uh, don't know that. Those are like the Danish uh, rockers, Guns N' Roses style. Yeah, uh, I kind of listened to them a little bit when they were around but not too much anymore i've been finding how are they called and i'm not sure if they're german or norwegian they dress up with antlers uh, and stuff like that hey long hey long yeah well, i'll find out um but i really enjoyed the music uh, it was on youtube and it was like very i don't know it was Connecting me more with nature, but not all the songs. It was like just these one, two songs they have, which are like the rhythm and everything. But uh, I'll, I'll, find, oh, yeah, you will, I'll check it afterwards. You will definitely find me listening to bands like Vardruna uh, from Norway, uh, Heilong, some Heilong, Heilong, however you might pronounce that, Nytland, uh, Runehild, a lot of these Scandinavian folk bands that some of the music they're putting out nowadays is just absolutely amazing. Gelder is one of the new ones that I was really turned on to. So this okay. is really great stuff. So, so that's more like this, this, this 
gothic kind of music no how, how uh, is the music described th those ones are uh scandinavian folk music folk music. so there are a lot of folk instruments they're singing about runes they're singing about the gods in the scandinavian languages so it's, okay. it's really amazing stuff okay i'll i'll get all the names from you because i have no idea if i wrote it right you got it <laughs> right <laughs> so yes I found you on, on Gaia. So you talk in so much depth about all these mystical and spiritual and other themes there. So how did you get there? What, what is the story behind that? I grew up in a house where exploring alternate forms of spirituality was accepted and embraced. I was allowed to tinker with different groups, different things. My parents had a vast book collection in the basement everything from the basic encyclopedias to stuff on witchcraft and magic and as i really got deep into especially one of them mystery teach uh secret teachings of all ages by manly p hall i started realizing all of these different groups had so many different things to say but they were all saying the same things in different ways and i knew i needed to choose one path one route that made the sen most sense to me and after digging around a little bit, all of the pieces fell in place that put me on the path of the Norse tradition. Like I got my first set of runes. I was listening to music at the time that pointed me to a book. And all of these pieces just fell in place. It clicked. It made so much sense to me. And I chose that as, let's say, my control group so that I could explore what spirituality was, how all of this stuff worked. Meantime, the house I was growing up in was like haunted beyond belief. You could set something down, turn around, it would be gone. It wouldn't show up for a while. You could hear footsteps going down the hallway. Lights would turn on and off. I remember one time watching TV, seeing the TV dial turn by itself physically. This is back before we had nice little buttons to change the channel. You actually had to physically turn the dial. As I'm watching the TV, it is literally turning as I'm watching it going, okay that that that's bizarre you know so i had no doubt that there were ghosts i had no doubt about the paranormal and throughout all of this time i had what i called whisperers which were like spirit guides guiding me through different things and on the path and pointing out different stuff teaching me some of this deep level stuff they're still around they still teach me stuff so i don't know my entire life has been like this paranormal mystical magical experience from early childhood through today so just seeing you, you, your face expression, there was just the button turning on the TV. Didn't you get a bit scared, like hair standing up or something? I mean, other people would probably scream and run out of the room. Here's the fun part. When I was seven years old, and this isn't that fun, I stayed for the <laughs> first, first and only time at my grandmother's house. I was seven, mind you. Overnight for the only time. And my sister was there and she wanted to watch The Exorcist. So we watched <laughs> at The seven. Exorcist at seven years old. My sister said I was a zombie for three days. And during that time period, the, the advantage of this one is I paid very close attention to what was happening, what was being depicted in the movie, like how she was laying on the bed, what was going on with her mind, how she was talking and acting. And I became very hyper-consciously aware of what were my own thoughts, what were external thoughts. I looked into how to do some protection work for myself. I learned how to really get deep inside to who I was, what I was. And 
if that was the most scariest experience I could have at the earliest age to see something just like move on its own or, or weird little things like that, that was nothing compared to the scare I had at seven years old. And your sister's how much older? She's seven years older than I am. So she was like 14, 15 years old when she saw it. Okay. And do you have any siblings in between you two or? Nope. Actually even older. My brother is 13 <laughs> years older than I am. I'm the baby. Seven and 13. Wow. So your parents really made sure to have enough space in between. <laughs> I was a surprise. Let's put it that way. Both of my parents were 43 when they had me. Uh, so how are your siblings then? If you have are they as spiritual as you are or are they just like completely like whatever? They kind of went different pathways. My brother is a doctor and he tries not to believe in the paranormal or the supernatural, but occasionally <laughs> he'll get those little hints that, you know, there is something here and then he'll try to slough it off, but it won't let, you know, the reality of it just won't let it be. So he's, he kind of believes in it, but he, he's wants the whole scientific proof of it all. And then my sister she never came to terms with it. She never found her solid ground with dealing with it to the point where she's, she saw me with a Ouija board one day and she's like, Oh, that's how you get really bad things in the house. That's how you do it. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's just a piece of wood with some paint on it. It's what you do with it. It's what you believe in it. And so she is so deathly afraid of the supernatural and the paranormal that she just, she won't do anything with it. She's, you know, just straight up as plain and ordinary as can be with all that. Okay. Um, that's funny. The one needs to have the science to prove it. So kind of believes in it. And the other one is so scared that she's kind of, but that means both had the experiences um, to somehow be exposed. And that might be you or did they have the experience before you were there and starting well, to were... play? Yeah, they had it before I was there. And I remember even when I was a kid, my sister was babysitting me and we'd be both upstairs and we'd hear the toilet downstairs flush or something move downstairs. And she would be so scared. She'd be like, ah, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, wow, that was kind of cool. What's going on? <laughs> okay. Now, I don't want to go too long there, but if, sure. if, if, if someone, and let's, let's just go ahead from the, the questions I have. Now we are in this world what is the explanation for these experiences is it is it just our mind which creates them is it really ghosts which live in a in, on a different frequency we don't feel or hear or see uh is it or is it something else i mean or is it all of those things it's actually all of those things <laughs> you okay. know we there's that saying that goes around that we are spiritual beings having a human experience <laughs> i like to actually counter that and say we are both spiritual and physical beings having a dynamic experience the work of uh Hammerop and penrose i believe it was back in the 60s found that the microtubules of our nervous system have a virtual quantum energy that is locked into a matrix and that matrix is what we've come to understand is the spirit or the soul of who we are. And as we know through the thermodynamics, that energy cannot be created or destroyed. So what happens to that energy if the body is no longer there to hold it in a matrix? Well, that's your spiritual essence. That's who you are. It lives on forever. There's science that backs that up. 
And these experiments were repeated back in the 90s. So we have peer-reviewed repeated experiments that actually show that there is scientific proof that we have some form of a subtle energetic existence that ancient mystics called the soul. They called the spirit. And it, because it's related to our nervous system, this is where our consciousness is. This is where our mind is. Now, that subtle energy is what can live on in a matrix without the body if there's some coherency going on, and that's what we would experience as a spirit. We can also project that conscious energy outside of the body with our emotions, with our will, and it will create, and that's the key part, we will create entities. This is something that comes to us from many different spiritual traditions in the world, including the Norse, where we call them thought forms, where if you have a continuous emotional state about something or a belief in something, you will create an entity that is a reflection of that emotional state. This is where somebody will have like a negative feeling that something is in their house, something's trying to scare them, something is just messing with them. Well, they've created this thought form being in their house that it's not evil, it's not a bad creature, it's not something horrible and awful. All it is is just like a little ball of energy, of let's say fear energy, it lives off of fear energy, it comes through and it pokes you with that fear energy, hoping that you generate more of that fear and energy for itself so that it can feed off of that energy that you're producing for it and it goes on continuing to exist. We can create more complex beings, like if we have a group identity uh, believing that there is some sort of a, a god or a demon or an angel and we give it a name, we give it certain attributes, certain characteristics, and then collectively with our collective will, our collective energy, we create this thing that's called an egregore and it has those great supernatural powerful abilities that we give to it and it is a separate entity, it is its own life being, but we created it. And another thing which triggered my mind when you talked about it is Terry Pratchett, um, Discworld. Okay. You're familiar with that. him? Yeah, it's like the weird wizard mostly, <laughs> which does weird stuff. Uh, it's just, and he writes his name with three sets. And, and it's about, you know, like little gods and it, it's a whole universe. And he's also talking about in one is the gods that there was only one person believing in the god. And so the god got very weak. And then the God found that person to basically make him spread the word that he's existing. So he gets more believers and therefore he was getting stronger. This is also the same premise that is in uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, the TV series and the book. It's the same exact concept. Like the old gods oh. from the old European world came to the U.S. and even from Africa came to the U.S. with the people. But now we're in a new era of technology and media and electricity those are the new gods so you have the old gods clamoring and fighting with the new gods for people to believe in them and to worship them once again so that they can continue their existence through our collective will <laughs> okay uh, neil gaiman was writing with terry pratchett because they were friends ah there you go <laughs> so so it's, it sounds very terry pratchett -y. so you talked about the collective mm -hmm. creating a being with its own life just by believing in it basically yep. or or by your continuous emotions of fear can you also create a, a being because of emotions of happiness on the other side absolutely every emotional state that you have 
can create happiness. Um, let me give you a weird little example. I was hanging out with a girlfriend and we were doing some scanning of each other to see if there was an attachment. Sometimes these beings can attach. She had none, but I checked in with myself and I'm like, oh, good. I have one here. What's up with that? So later on, I got to my ritual space, which is where I'm in now. And I went in and I found this attachment and I'm like, what's going on with you? And I really did a lot of work. It took, it was really embedded deep. So it took quite a bit of work to get this attachment out of me. And I had to come to terms with what it was, what it was all about. And mind you, a being cannot attach to you unless there is some emotional agreement, some energetic agreement. You, that is the statement. Even though you can be consciously and fully aware, say, no, I would never agree to something like that. There is something that you need at the emotional level. Well, at that time, I was struggling with some marketing ideas, some things of getting out to the public, trying to bring in some more people viewing and working with the stuff that I do. And I got a little frustrated with it. It just wasn't going the right direction that I wanted it to do. And eventually, I just kind of zoned out on it. I'm like, nah, okay, I'll just go work on some other things. And when I detached this entity off of me, it was suddenly everything came flooding back. And I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Why am I not working on this stuff? Oh, this isn't where it needs to be. I need to get these things working and I need to go working on that. And I touched in with my higher self, got connected with higher being. And I'm like, what's going on here? It turned out that this attachment was helping to numb the anxiety and the urgency I was feeling about trying to get stuff done. And that's what I agreed to. I agreed to that little bit of a, an oasis, so to speak, from the stress that I actually needed to feel. I, I needed to have a fire under my ass to get the stuff done. And I agreed to have this thing attached. So I was numbed and feeling good about just the way things were and complacent. And so this being was feeding off of me and my complacency, my numbness, I just like being content with how things were, which you would think was normally we a good feeling to have that you're content, you're happy, you're just feeling relaxed about things. But in truth, what I absolutely needed was that sense of urgency, that sense of directedness, that energy and that passion to get things done and get things rolling again. So it could seem like it was positive energy, but it actually still had a negative effect. Okay, but was it a being or was it created by you? I don't know. I don't know if it was something created by, by me because that's one of the things is if you create a thought form unintentionally and then you change your energy state so it can no longer feed off of you, there is that possibility you can float around to find somebody else to attach to and go, oh, oh really? Yeah, it happens all the time. Okay, but then let's continue here because I, I, sure. I feel we are getting really deep in that one and you're so complicated you say <laughs> indeed <laughs> so we're in the paranormal um elementary world and then you have yes. like these elfer oh the hudra folk the the hidden people uh, hidden folks yeah yes these ones i will not say that they are human created i think they are nature created the natural world has an intelligence all of its own Like if you were to, let's just look at the elemental realm, for example. If you were to look at stones and rock formations, how they just seem to know what to do. They seem to have an idea of where they are. There's like a, a consciousness about them and an intellect about them that is not like anything we have ourselves. We cannot say, yes, there's a, a stone that can do mathematics, <laughs> but a stone can do geometry. The way that they form, the way that they grow. They all have geometric compositions to them. 
and the way that they move in essence is all geometry. So there is an intellect that is built into the stones. And just like we are these dynamic beings with spiritual subtle energy and physical energy, so too does the natural world. The natural world has its own embedded subtle energy to it. And as these formations get more complex and they grow in, well, really complexity, then that energy for, uh, grows in complexity as well so that they become subtle beings. There are the subtle beings that work with the, the stones, the earth element. There are definitely subtle beings that work with the water. Here's something fun to do. If anytime that you're sitting next to like a, a creek or a river, even a lake, and you notice the ripples on the water as the water's moving, and then all of a sudden you'll notice a still spot where there's like no waves, there's no ripples, there's no moving. And maybe that still spot is kind of flowing with a current. It's almost like something sitting there, keeping the ripples from happening. There's almost like there's something in the water right there where the water is still. And that makes absolutely no sense why that would be a still spot in the water. And then all of a sudden it disappears and moves on. And it's like, hmm, wasn't there just something sitting there that wasn't visible to the eye, but you could see the effects of it in the water. So those things are definitely real. They're definitely around us in that, in that way. And in Iceland, it's really cool that they are firm believers in the hidden people there, where if there's like a mound, a hill, and it's believed that there are people living in that mound, they will not move that hill to put a road. They will move the road around the hill to not disturb the people there because they've learned over the centuries what a lot of people still need to kind of come to understand that we share space with these elemental beings with these hidden folk we exist in the natural world with them and just like if you were to have somebody come and mess with you at your house or to mess with your home you would be very angry you'd be very upset you might even want to go back and let that person know what they did to you and you might not be very nice about letting them know about what they did to you. So if you have, let's say a backyard, you have a yard and there's a stone in your yard. That's really like, I don't like this here. And you move the stone to another part of the yard or you get upset and you have the stone removed and all of a sudden weird stuff starts happening in your house. You've disturbed the home of one of these hidden people and you either got to put that stone back or you got to make reparations or you got to do something to to work in an equitable way with your neighbor because that, that hidden person is your neighbor and you can actually have a very good prosperous relationship with each other if you stay on good terms. So what can you do when you have the feeling there is something you cannot explain? I mean, that thing with the ripple, I definitely haven't mm -hmm. experienced, but not really consciously because I did, did definitely not believe in it. I wanted to believe in it, but I'm like, ah, science, how can we? How can you, what, what should I say? Like you have a house, you remove it, and then, then you find all kind of strange things are happening around the house or in the garden. So what are you supposed to do? Do you have to put uh, oatmeal outside or do you have to put straw, you put back the stone or the wood or whatever it is, mm -hmm. or do you put out oil, the beer for the Scandinavia? What, what are you doing good. when you have to feeling something is um, wrong? It's <laughs> Uh, yes, I would say try, if you have weird stuff going on inside your house, definitely 
And if you, if it happens after you messed around with stuff in your yard and the, the land around you, I would say set out some things. Oatmeal is great. Uh, ale, beer, wine, whiskey. You know, I found really good <laughs> benefits with whiskey. Sometimes it's milk, you know, just a little bit of an offering. Definitely first off an apology saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to disturb things. If you can put the stone back or you can put things back to right, definitely do that one. Or if you can provide something else and then also have a sense of gratitude because you kind of got proof now that these things are real. These things are a part of your life and your life just suddenly moved from this smaller space to something bigger because you have proof that they're there and that they're a part of your world. And so be grateful for that. Have some gratitude and that will help to establish the further relationships that you have with them to be on a better setting and a better place so that things just work in a much more favorable way for the both of you. I'm just thinking like, because the way we talk, I have the feeling, I don't know who are my listeners, but perhaps the listeners say, well, that's all. Yeah, it's nice. You know, you're on the Lord of the Rings, whatever J.R. Tolkien world. I don't believe in that, but they still, so, so how, yeah, did you? What are your experiences? Let's let's go let's go there. Like, what are your experiences of people for awakening or opening up? It could be your own experience or clients you have or neighbors or whoever. Or what are the craziest experiences you have from a non-believer to a believer? Or sure, interest? and that's exactly one of the things we can can address. Is it's so easy to get stuck in the materialistic world saying that there is nothing but straight up cause and effect in the physical realms, and that's all that there is. And that's fine. And for some people, that's great. If that's their world and what they need, terrific. Because, you know, we, have, we get caught up sometimes in the saying of seeing is believing. <laughs> Excuse me. We tend to say seeing is believing. You've got to see it before you believe it. I agree. I'm a skeptic, right? I need to see this stuff sometimes. I need to experience it. Otherwise, it's just nonsense to me. But it's been such a persistent, overarching theme throughout my life that it's like, I can't deny it. And there are times where I just want to say, no, this was just me being crazy. This was just me being ma making stuff up. I'm having some sort of delusions. You know, this is my imagination gone wild. And then it validates itself in another way. Something else happens in the, in the real world, you know, the daily life. And I'm like, oh, I'm not making this stuff up. And so I've learned it's a dynamic experience. Sure, you got to see something a little bit before you believe it. But then if you believe in it a bit more, you'll start seeing more of it. There is a bit of science to this. The reticular activating system is a part of our brain that it, what it really does is it's a filter for what you can be conscious of versus what gets like stored into your subconscious. So let's say your eyes, your ears, your, your touch are all bringing in like thousands of bits of information, but you can only be consciously aware of like 10% of that. So your reticular activating system decides what is relevant, what you've already experienced, what you have patterns already built into your brain to accept. And it says, nope, we're not going to be aware of this stuff. And we're going to push this stuff out of the way. And so if you come into an experience where something suddenly moves, and you're like, wait a minute, what was that? Is there something to this paranormal? You just saw something. Then you go, then you can believe that something paranormal exists. And that will open that reticular activating system to be aware of more of it. 
And then the more you do this work, the more that reticular activating system becomes programmed to let in this information of the paranormal. Conversely, if you're a child and you are open to connecting with a spiritual being and you're talking with a little boy who used to live nearby and you go to mom and dad and say, hey, there was this little kid named Johan. What's up with that one? And they're like, no, you're just making this stuff up. I don't want to hear this make-believe stuff. And the more the kid persists in saying that there was this little boy, Johan, the more strict those parents are to the point of punishment. So now that kid is programmed. Nope, the paranormal's not real. I can't talk about it. It's not valid. I shut it off. And meanwhile, Johan's, the little boy spirit is going, hey, what happened to my friend? We used to get along here. But that little boy was taking care of himself because he got shut down. Maybe later in lifetime, he'll go, yeah, I remember that. And then he was open to that. And then he sees a little bit more. So let me give you two examples of this one. Ectoplasm. You see these pictures of ectoplasm in pictures from like the 1800s, 1900s, right? Where people were really getting into photography and ghost photography. And they were a lot of people faking pictures of ectoplasm. Now, I grew up going to seances. I was around spirit my entire life. And I have never, ever seen ectoplasm. So to me, I'm like, nope. This is all make-believe. It's all trickery. It's hocus-pocus nonsense. Ectoplasm's not real. I went to a ritual in New Orleans where we were communing with spirits. We had a black mirror. We had spirits in the room. And as we were doing some energy exchange, we saw ectoplasm come out of a woman's mouth. She didn't know she was doing it. She had no idea what ectoplasm was, but she was doing it naturally. And a couple of us to the side were looking at each other going, what did we just see? What did we just experience? And from that moment on, I know ectoplasm is a very real phenomena in the spirit world. I haven't seen it since then. I haven't experienced it since then, but it's there. Another one, table tipping. I've never been in a seance where tables have started moving spontaneously, ever. But it's a big part of spiritism from the 1900s. People really got into table tipping. And to me, I'm like, it's just somebody moving the table with their leg. Maybe there's some magnets going on and they're playing around with a table. Well, one day I'm in my ritual space and I've got a little black mirror in my hand and I'm just staring into it and I'm really getting connected with it. And all of a sudden, one of the benches in my room, it's a big, heavy bench that I built with some big two by fours, starts thumping on the ground. And I'm like, oh, okay, there is something to this one. Let's go play with that some more. Okay, I get it. Before ectoplasm, before this bench, that was all nonsense. It was just making people making stuff up to fool our minds. But now I'm like, nope, this is real. So when, when I listen to that, um, I, I remember, because I have a really persistent friend, um, trying to convert convert me with all what's going on in the world now because I just cannot believe all the stories. On the left, on the right, in the middle, on the top, on the bottom, there's all a bit exaggerating. Um, I'm neither nor, but I'm put in boxes all the time when whatever I comment. <laughs> so he sent me these German pages and, you know, what is it, conspiracy theorists? Why do you do these things? And then there was like a one-hour show and there were two people interviewed one was reading uh like mind reading but he said it's all learning to read people 
but he didn't really go into how he's doing it. So I don't know if he's actually hiding the spiritual part because he feels too vulnerable. But he says, you know, you, you, you can read people like how they use their eyes, how they use their body, how they use their head, and then you can find out what they're thinking. Uh, and the other one, physicist and psychology, and he looked at the paranormal. And one thing you said was, it was just triggering me when you said it. He said, there was like this case of stones flying around and they couldn't figure out why. And then they found out there was this little boy, which was heavily traumatized. When they found that boy and started treating him, the stones didn't fly anymore. And and the moderator was like, yeah, and but there were stones flying. And he's like, yeah, but we found the root cause. It was the trauma of the boy, but but he didn't really go deeper. And And it was really like, the whole show was basically to say that there's like no science proving it. And, you know, people like you go on this to show that there is existing something are um, not able to prove it when they have like 10 out of 10, they only make two or three out of 10, which is basically like randomized, you know, trial with dices. So what are you saying to, to these people which try to prove there's the paranormal, but whenever they're tested, it, it's proven they could be just randomized. Yes and no. What you're describing was something really uh, well depicted by this book, Spiritual Anatomy of Emotion by uh, Jawer Mikotsi. What I found fascinating about this book is it, my take on it is it was written by these two guys that did not want to believe in the paranormal as supernatural. They went out to try to debunk it to try to find out how it wasn't. And they did a good job. They really debunked a lot of good things in here. But when it came to things like what we would call the poltergeist effect, rather than a poltergeist, a poltergeist effect, they found that definitely adolescent children who have some emotional upheaval going on in their life, but they are unable to really fully express it or express it very well, have telekinetic phenomena going on around them which means things will be moving. Things will just go fly across the room. And the more emotionally challenged this child will get during a situation, the more this poltergeist effect happens. Now, the reason why I say it's a poltergeist effect is, you know, poltergeist means noisy spirit, right? Noisy ghost. And a lot of people at one point thought a poltergeist, and will still today think that a poltergeist means that there's some sort of entity or ghost living in their house, throwing things around. That may or may not be true. What really is going on is if you've got this like sort of a thick skin where you cannot express your emotions. Now, this is one thing that we know from transpersonal psychology is that if one subtle body, like your emotional body, cannot express itself, it will express itself in another way. This is the basis of like conversion disorder. If somebody has some super stress going on in their life, and they can't express that stress, so they can't deal with that stress, they'll develop like nervous tics. They'll be shaking or they'll, they'll stutter a lot because their emotions need an outlet for themselves and they're not getting it through a healthy emotional means. And if they can't express themselves healthily through their emotions, like the way we do, you know, through crying, through screaming, through venting those emotions in whatever way needs to come out, you will find another way to get that energy out. And with children, they can't really go to their parents and say, hey, you guys are being really mean. You need to stop this. This is hurting me. The parents will just say, oh, just shut up and go to your room. I don't want to hear this. You know, stop crying. You know, little boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. Stop it right now. 
and this kid cannot express itself. So meantime, while he's trying to express his emotion, a book will go flying across the room. And then, okay, I mean, uh, I, I I could step so many times in here for with questions and and uh, remarks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very much into health. I'm I'm just looking at the world so different than so many people around me that I'm not really fitting in most of the times. Um, but I love health. I love nature, like Gaia and all these things. I don't feel good in a church, but I love the mystics. So that's why I probably connect with you in, in some way. But then what you're saying here, like you, you suppress the emotions until it's manifesting in <laughs> paranormal effects, which could be poltergeist. But I also think in, in today's world, we are so fast to give cancer treatment, um, diabetes, all these other things. And, and we're not really going into the root cause. And I have not really looked at it until I talked to you and I prepared a bit more for this talk that the same effects which, which make us sick, right? We know Joe Dispenza, Greg Barden, and all these people talk about that. And then when you finally let go from this trauma, finally let go of these emotions, finally let go of this belief, I am the body, I am the mind, then you get sick or you, you create the poltergeist. And the other thing is what came into my mind is like, when you have all these people which want to prove the Ghostbusters going into a haunted house and the people are outside That's the right. house, nothing will happen. You're absolutely correct. And I'll have to state that I'm not a doctor. I haven't been trained in the medical profession, so I can't give medical advice. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. There is a lot of studies that will show that if you can connect with your negative emotions, that you, you, know, you don't really push them away. You don't get rid of them. You connect with them. You say, hey, what is this going on? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? You let yourself express that. You let yourself work with it. And then you can shift into a more positive state after that one. That will you know, reduce the cortisol. That will reduce the adrenaline. That will reduce the stress in your body. And that will help to tune you into a better state of being, a better state of health, just by shifting your, your way out of those negative emotions. Because every negative emotion not only has an energy, but has biochemistry associated with it. And the cells of your body can be literally addicted to those biochemicals for stress, for sadness, for angst. And if you can get rid of that and you can shift to another state more consistently, then your health will improve just by doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you will not have books flying around in the house anymore. (laughs) Unless you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people like you love it. So I hope you don't really create this uh, event. Now, I actually wanted to talk more about runes uh, sure. because I thought that's really interesting. So what are runes and where are they coming from? How are they used and how is the application for nowadays? Sure. That's a big question too. <laughs> uh, if you have time, I mean, sure. the kids are running around making a lot of noise. So let's see <laughs> how much we have. Kids are fun. So at the most basic level, Runes are the written language of the Proto-Norse and the Old Norse languages. And because of that, you can actually get a PhD in runology. You know, runes aren't that strange and mysterious. They're just a written language. That's really all they, they are, basically a written language. And there are thousands upon thousands of runic artifacts 
throughout Scandinavia, throughout mainland Europe, all the way into Russia. I don't believe that there are in the U.S., North America. I don't believe any of the foundings in the U.S. about ruins are authentic. But they are from Scandinavia, Europe, Russia, absolutely thousands. But more than that, every letter of the runes, runic alphabet, every rune in essence, has a meaning to it, has a, a sound to it. For example, the rune Fehu looks like the letter F. It has the F sound to it, but at one point it meant cattle. And the only people who owned cattle were farmers. And farmers were the pinnacle of the economic situation in old Scandinavia. So if you had cattle, you were the rich elite echelon of the world. You were there. And so cattle were signs of richness. So today, when we use the word fehu, it tends to mean that sense of money, that sense of flow of assets, the, the give and take of investing and earning, that kind of thing. It's a time, effort, energy is what fehu is. Eventually, the word fehu became fe, which became the English word fee. So it all has its connotations of payment about money, capital, investments. And so that's how we can use the word, the, the rune, fehu. That then taps us deeper into that one. So if we want to think of fehu as like value, for example, if you're looking at your computer, your computer has a monetary value, the, the money you paid for it. But it also has a personal value. What is it useful for you in your life? You know, if you keep your pictures of your family on there, there's certainly some sentimental value to that computer. If you're doing your work on the computer and your, your work is saved, that's the fehu of that computer. Let's turn it inwards. This is how I work with runes and how I teach people to work with runes is once you understand what the old Norse meant by fehu, once you understand what fehu means in modern world, what does fehu mean to you? What is your value? What are the different values of you? And I don't mean bought and sold with money. No, no. I mean, what is the value that you bring to the world? How do you see yourself? What is your level of value to you? What is the level of value that you bring to the people in your life? What is it that you give to the world? And what does the world accept from you? And so that gives you that ability to contemplate the runes. And then you can go cycle through the runes. So let's take it to another level. We look at the rune Anzus. And Anzus is a rune that deals with communication, with awareness and understanding. It's often linked with the Norse god Odin, the high god, who is the, the leader, the teacher, who really has a lot of leadership and guidance skills for people. Uh, I tend to think that Anzus, the rune, became Ansur, which became our English word answer. And so... Now, when you think about Anzus and what it meant to the Old Norse about how Odin and the teachings and the leadership and the guidance and communication, Anzus in our world today is all about that understanding and awareness and communicating. Such as example, you and I talking here back and forth, this conversation that we're having is the rune Anzus. Uh, welcome back. We had some interruptions here with kids and dogs and we were talking about answers and the communication mm -hmm. Odin as the teacher mm -hmm. and God and answers became answer. So how do we go on from here? So when you think of Anzus for yourself, I think of it here as at the throat center. 
with the ah sound. And if you intone even just the sound ah, connect with your ability to communicate how you best understand. Some people are visual learners. Some people listen to learn better. Some people like to touch and manipulate things to learn. They do. And so when you intone this, ah, how do you become aware? How do you learn and how do you teach? And that is embedded with Anzus here and And if you're looking for a little bit of a a de-stress for your day, for your time, there's a rune at the top of the head, Isa. Isa is a rune of stillness, of silence. It's a rune of ice. Now, the Havamal, one of the sacred poems, tells us that when you come to the high gods to ask of the runes, it is best for one to be silent. And this correlates with like some of the Buddhist teachings about getting to the zero state mind, where you're a blank still mind, so that you could receive that sacred teachings, that sacred essence. So if you think of Isa at the top of your head with the E sound, and just think about your own stillness, your own silence, creating that space within your mind as you do E and intoning the runes and their sound is a very traditional way. So think about this. If you're getting that silence, that still connection to the sacred with E, you can move that into your awareness and your understanding with ah. Let's bring it even further, all the way down to where the belly button is with an O sound. This is a rune of Othala. It deals with home. It deals with family, with legacies. This is also your presence in the world. This is how you bring yourself to the world and how the world sees you and interacts with. This is your community. This is all the things in the physical world that you are. And so if you are bringing that stillness, that awareness into your world, you could do three little sounds to activate these runes of Isa, Anzus, and Othala just by going, and here's something fun to think about the sound that we made eao is an ancient greek word for god so it helps to even deepen your connection with the sacred and bringing that sacred awareness, that sacred essence into your body, your being, and everything that you are in the world. Awesome. I, um, I enjoyed that. So I did take or subscribe from YouTube or Facebook to your classes. And that was like the first video I saw. You mentioned that we should do it nine times in a row. Mm-hmm. The, uh, in the morning when we wake up and in the evening and once during the day for nine days. Why these nine times? Ah, nine is a very sacred number to a lot of spiritual traditions, especially even in the Norse. Odin, when he hung himself on the world tree to discover the secret of the runes, he hung himself on the tree for nine nights. When we look to Norse cosmology, there are nine worlds in Norse cosmology And nine, numerologically, is that sense of completion, that sense of wholeness. 
we could think of seven is a number for spirituality that would connect to things with spiritual things. Eight is almost a divine number where things are in order. Everything has its nice, perfect placement, how things work out. But nine is like a divine order. It's a divine connection. It's that sacredness of the world and how things are just about ready to switch to that 10, which is a new expression of one. But nine is like that highest order. So if you do it nine times, you're bringing that higher order of nine into your being. You do it three times a day, you know, that really sets you throughout your day. You do it for nine days as a sacred practice that really aligns you with that higher divine sense of sacredness and being in the world for you. It's beautiful. For me, somehow seven is kind of the number which is getting stuck with me at the moment. But I knew the nine, like three, six, and nine, that was Tesla saying, if yes. you understand those numbers, you understand the universe. That's absolutely right. The... One of the things I think is interesting, and this will be a slight little tangent, is I think a base 10 counting system that we're used to having, you know, with our 10 fingers, doesn't work in the natural world mathematically. But a base 12, because it's easily divisible geometrically, uh, there's a lot of 12s out there, and all of the 3, 6, 9, and 12 is the resonance of the natural world. To the point that if we look at the angles that all of the runes make, all of the runes are at 60 degree angles or at 120 degree angles. So we're back to that 60 and 20. And those same angles are found in water crystals, ice crystals, and quartz crystals. So runes are still a reflection of the natural world, even at that geometric level of three, six, and nine. Wow. I, I didn't know. I asked you when we, when we talked beforehand about the runes, why they're so straight. The runes are always these straight lines. Is that because they were using stones primarily and they didn't know paper or did they have these like round forms when they used paper and we simply don't have the documents anymore? Yep, that's exactly it. Back when it was 2000 years ago, all they had was really stone cutting tools to put to, for runes or even wood carving tools. And there was no way to do curved lines. They couldn't write on paper with ink you know, at all. There was just no way to do a curved line. And so they, eventually they could when they started making some of the designs and the, the serpentine designs or some of the other images that they would, they would get curved designs. But it was so much easier. For example, if you just cut a, a straight line for a top channel, another straight line for a bottom channel, and then you cut straight lines vertically between those channels, and then you could do the little angles. And that was how you could carve the runes much easier, much faster, much quicker. And what it did get to writing in around the 1300s, you know, they were already just straight lines. So they kept them straight lines, but there are some Gothic writings where we start to see the runes moving in curves, where we start getting into a little bit more decorative when it got to be ink. But now that we're here in the 21st century, and we have computers, we've got ink, we've got paint and paintbrushes, and more importantly, we have Dremel tools or other kind of rotary carving tools. <laughs> there is nothing limiting your creativity. So if you want to make Yera instead of these two you know, super straight lines with it, and you just want to make it more curvy, why not? Get creative, have your own creative expression. So for example, like let's say this tattoo here, 
This is actually a word. It's a secret word. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's a word that was written out in runes from the younger Futhork, which are the more recent runes. All of them stack together to create a bind rune, which is a traditional way of working with runes in a magic way as you stack the runes on top of each other to create a sigil or a special design. And then I further complicated it by making all the lines decorative and creative looking so that you really can't tell that these are actually runes and that there's really a word underneath those runes, but there is. <laughs> this so way you can have like a huge, you can have a huge tattoo, which is basically a story, but no one can really understand if, if you don't want that. Exactly. In fact, this is a bind rune here on the back of my hand. It comes from the Havamal. It's Brandorath Brandi Bren. It's still complicated to hard to read but it's much easier to see what these words are than it is to see what that magic word is. Okay, interesting. So I think I need to create my own runes. But I guess we'll, we'll probably go a little bit deeper uh, on that, perhaps in the second episode, or whenever we have the time. And I have more quiet with the crazy house I have at the moment. A dog, a cat, which just arrived, and they're running after each other, kids <laughs> and all that stuff. But the call to action was basically the E-O, the nine times in the morning, somewhere during the day, and before sleeping for nine days. I think that's a really good one. And is there any book, documentary, or something you, you give to people or you recommend? Well... I do have a book that I wrote called Runes for Transformation. You can get it on Amazon. It's in a lot of uh, bookstores everywhere. And in this book, what I do is I walk you through, like we talked about earlier, what the ancients understood the runes to mean, how they apply in this world. And then I invite you to take an understanding of what that rune means to you. Then I give you exercises to go out into the world to find where the runes are in the world and then explore the runes internally for what you are. Then I teach you how to create rune scripts and affirmations and bind runes so that you could change the runes of your inner world, your inner state, so that they become reflected in the world around you. And literally the world around you starts to shift because you're changing the runes inside of you. You're activating the runes in a different way internally, so they come to life in a different way externally. I have to get the book and then we can make the rune show. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely check out my website kdrick.com i've got links to there to some online programs to teach you more about getting into the runes and how to use the runes i've got some shadow work that i'm doing which is you know how to get deeper into some of the negative aspects of our emotions and i got some links there to some of the rune music that i do that you could use the runes as kind of like a ritual as a way of getting better in tune with your own spiritual sense so so you said you make rune music, so you have your own songs. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. I have been a musician my entire life, and I've paired what I know about music with runes and what I've been studying and practicing for hypnotherapy and a lot of this other psychological stuff. They're all embedded into this music. And here's a little teaser. As of right now, I'm building out a page of guided meditation, which uses some special music that I wrote because I write my own music. And I've got five albums of different meditations, like clearing negativity, awakening higher being, aligning your subtle being, 
I got these different five different albums that I'm putting together, even one for working with paranormal beings so that you can work with them in a safe way. And I'm just now building out the webpage for these guided meditations. They'll be available soon, like within the next few days, but I'm working on it today. Yeah, I mean, um, it will take a few days because we had a hiccup with technology <laughs> and a hiccup with kids. Uh, we'll have to cut everything and... <laughs> and we have to keep coming again. Uh, I think those are the, the, the hidden folks which are testing me on my patience. Uh, this is a special show. I mean, we talked about <laughs> emotional suppression and the poltergeist effect, the hidden folks talked about meditation and I'm, I have so much more to ask you. It definitely shows when I get connected with the right people that I cannot have a one interview. There's so much more to, to find out. People can find your website. You mentioned it. I found you on Facebook. That's where mm -hmm. we started talking. Is there any other page you want people to go? Yeah, I've got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, Kedrick.com is my primary website. And then I have another one, which is dedicated to the rune music and the musical work. And I call that Galdracraft. It's G-A-L-D-R-A-K-R-A-F-T. It basically means the power of rune song. And if you go to galdracraft.com, that's where you'll find my music. That's where I'm putting up the meditation stuff. And a, more of an explanation about how runes work with sound and vibration and consciousness. Awesome. So... Perfect. I think for next time we will talk about runes, definitely, very deeply. About shadow work, I think, then the golden shadow. Absolutely, the golden shadow. It's the stuff that the, the negative side of you is hiding. Your secret superpower and your strengths that you didn't know that you had because you were hiding it from yourself. We can... I see. I have a series of episodes coming, like a coaching uh, for the listeners which I got a personal coach coaching me for the podcast uh, over seven episodes. Nice. It's going to be a bit different than everything else. And what you just said about the golden shadow, if we, if we get it after those episodes, I think we are going to be going a bit deeper. <laughs> nice. And we'll have to work with the Pagan Man, right? With your work with the Pagan Man, uh, Atlantis and Scandinavia, Vikings, <laughs> The gods which are reappearing, Odin, in different ways all around the mystics. There's so much sound healing. People Remember back at the beginning, one of those three things to describe me? And I said complex, complicated. You perfectly enumerated exactly why. <laughs> yes, I mean, I have, a, I have a feeling for getting people with that much. I mean, if you go down in the other episodes... I had some first episodes which are exactly like this one. It's I just start to feel the depth of, of my guest. <laughs> and I somehow have the feeling I'm not really gave enough space for them, but how can we? Because you're so deep. Now we gave the audience the a little bit of a, the nuggets, I hope. And uh, I will try to link to anything where the people can find out more about you until we meet for a second or perhaps a third time. Who knows? And Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and for your laughter whenever we got interrupted by anything, <laughs> your patience. And yes, people, you know where you find us and what you have to do is click the button so I get more spread for, the, uh, for my guests. 
and for the people which need to know this information, basically. Excellent. Thank you for this. I really had a great time with this and you've got a wonderful family. They're, they're great. And I love that energy and just the vibrance that the children and the animals bring, the dog. It's great stuff. <laughs> Thank you for that. So with that, I say goodbye to the audience. Have fun, everyone.